Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get these two guys talking about the Middle East because it's a subject I stay away from mostly because I'm completely ignorant about politics and and what's gone on. Over, like, look, I was over there for a month uh, filming a television special. I was in Israel. I remember the bus driver, Palestinian bus driver, say, uh, saying to me one day, hey, come, come with me, come with me. And he took me into the ghetto. He took me into, mm-hmm. this was in uh, uh, near Na- in Nazareth, I yeah. think it was near there. Also so, a great band. So I, <laughs> I'm thankful that these guys are out there doing what they're doing. Michael Korn uh, just had an article that came out, ominous signs that the next war in the Middle East is coming and it won't be pretty. And that article, that sentence, I mean, all this stuff has many in the religious world wondering about you know how it all ties, how all this stuff ties into end times or Armageddon. Because apparently the Bible indicates that the end of the world will likely involve places like Israel, Lebanon, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and even Russia. Ooh. So joining us to discuss why the Holy Land is about to explode again is the one and only Mr. Michael Corrin. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. And also our regular Mubin Sheikh. Mubin, what's going on? How's everybody doing? Doing well. Thank you both for joining us. Um, you know, I thought I might start off with this, if you don't mind. Mubin, can you tell us um, what your perspective is in regards to Michael Corrin's perspective on, on the Middle East? Because, Michael, um, you've you've heard him talk. You've watched him talk. You've read his articles. Um, how are you feeling about this latest one that, that Michael wrote? Well, i be honest, I didn't read his latest article, but... You mean the one I, mean, I sent to you in preparation for the show today? Well, you know, this, look, look, the, the, I always say that rule number, you know, 6,984 about the Middle East, things can always get worse, okay? Yes, yes. Uh, number two, uh, when I was training the U.S. military, uh, talking about, you know, the, ro- the roots of religious conflict, I said to them, if you want to learn about the history of war in the Middle East, read the Bible. Okay, point number two. So to point number three, which is an article heading like, uh, you know, Michael has put, uh, others have written, you know, similar articles. I certainly believe that uh, we're, we're coming closer to some kind of conflict, and I'm sure in the course of this conversation we'll try to splice out, you know, what is the role that each of them are going are gonna to play uh, in the so-called Holy Lands. Right. Okay, that was a, that was a good start. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Corin, why are you such an aficionado? I mean, people would say that you are, and maybe I'm not sure you would say that because you're a pretty uh, self-deprecating man. Uh, but you seem to be very keenly aware and interested in the goings-on in the Middle East. Is it because of your religious background, or is it because you're a, a political junkie? Now, this has very little to do with religion, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> we really should try and expunge that from any attempt to have an intellectual grasp of what's going on. This is about geopolitics. This is about tribe to a certain degree. It's about power. It's about money. It's about control. But it's not much about religion. Hmm. Um, if you really, I mean, look, what, look what happened at this grotesque events in Egypt. Uh, you, you, there we had Sunni Muslim slaughtering Sunni Muslim because... The mosque belonged to a particular tribe that was helping the Egyptian military in its war against ISIS. Uh, and and those terrorists who murdered those innocent people didn't care about their religious sensibilities. They, again, it's about politics and power. I've spent a lot of time over there. I've traveled fairly widely in the Middle East. I haven't gone to every country, but a number of them. And I've always had an interest. And I wrote my university dissertation years ago, actually, <laughs> um, 
on the subject. And so I have a lot of contacts there and I try to keep abreast of... Uh, I mean, what I was writing about in this one was about Lebanon. Uh, and it, there are so many paradoxes now because uh, Israel, for example, has never been more economically powerful than it is now. There was a time when Israel, I mean, Israelis worked a six-day week and people lived in apartments and they didn't have much money and they have new uh, friends. I mean, for example, India is an intimate friend. Uh, Russia is by no means an enemy and is fairly close. Uh, China has a working relationship with Israel. Uh, Many countries in Eastern Europe. But in many ways, most significantly, Israel effectively has a working relationship uh, with uh, much of the Sunni world. Mm -hmm certainly with Egypt, but particularly with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. And there's a common alliance against uh, the Shia powers, principally Iran. Turkey is a little bit difficult to define. They will go where the power is. They want their own empire. Um, Truth be told, Islamic solidarity. uh, Turkey has no love for the Arab world. It thinks it should be the natural masters of the Arab world. Um, So it's just trying to work its way through here. Um, Russia is very important in all this because Russia is friendly with all the countries involved but has made it quite plain to Netanyahu that his closest partners in the region are Iran and Syria. Mm. Arab armies have traditionally been trained not to fight external enemies, but keep down their own people. And in uh, what you have now, though, in the Syrian army is a small but most battle-hardened army in the region. And I do think, after we see all the maneuvers of Northern Command of the IDF, that some sort of war in Lebanon is inevitable. Netanyahu wants to digress from scandals at home. Uh, the Israelis want to teach Syria a lesson so they know their place, as it were. Uh, we've just had the Lebanese uh, a leader going to Saudi Arabia. He has joint nationality, by the way. And talking about the power of Hezbollah, that nothing can be done about the power of Hezbollah, by the way, which is far more than just a military organization. I mean, they do a huge amount of, of charitable work and social welfare and so on. Uh, so I, I do think that some... I, I covered the 2006 war. And uh, although Israel didn't lose that, it was about the first time that the Israeli military was told it couldn't do exactly what it wanted to do in the Middle East. It never really happened before. So, yeah, I I do think Lebanese conflict, I hope I'm wrong, but I think Lebanese conflict is pretty much inevitable. Um, Mubin, what I want to know is Russia as a peacemaker, do you trust that? Do you believe that? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, uh, you know, Michael gave a very, very good um, lay of the land. Uh, you see the different players. You see the, you know, geopolitical interests, the larger ones, the local ones. I mean, Russia is doing also its thing. I mean, you can see after the WikiLeaks thing, the uh, disclosures, uh, the Snowden leaks, uh, suddenly there was, you know, this very um, uh, aggressive counterintelligence response, response by the Russians. Uh, there have been cyber attacks ongoing since then. So one can also say that Russia is similarly on the march. I mean, if we look at just Syria, I mean, Syria has been a, a de facto Russian base since the 70s, when Hafez al-Assad, the father of Bashar al-Assad, current president, uh, you know, effectively uh, let, let Russia, you know, stage up there. You know, it has its two ports, its, its air base and naval base, uh, Ladakhia and Tartus, respectively. And that is the Russian springboard into Europe. So, um, uh, of course, the Russians were going to go into Syria to make sure that U.S. influence was being pushed back. Uh, you see now what is a little different are aggravating factors uh, that the Russians have, of course, because they're on the march. Uh, now there is a Shia crescent, a full land bridge that goes right from Iran 
across Iraq, across Syria, right through Lebanon and touching Israel. Uh, one of the main reasons why uh, we're seeing two things. One, the, uh, the, the pressure on North Korea, not just because of their threats against everybody, uh, but also because North Koreans have been selling equipment to the Iranians, and that equipment is showing up in Syria with Hezbollah and other Iranian-backed groups. So, uh, you know, Israel is, of course, you know, always on point, making sure that Syria doesn't become a staging ground uh, for attacks to come on onto Israel. Right, right. So, so with Russia again, I mean, Russia is going to play its game if it feels that, you know, let's say if it feels that Israel is, you know, the hand of the U.S. in the Middle East, well, then it will have a, a blockage for Israel, right? It will, in the end, it could jettison any kind of support for Israel and just rely on the support it has locally on the ground with battle-hardened militias right. uh, in, in all Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. Okay, uh, Mubin, thanks for that. And again, just reminding you that we are on the line with Mubin Sheikh. He's an ex-Muslim extremist turned undercover intelligence operative, author of Undercover Jihadi. Also, Michael Korn, author, broadcaster, and journalist. Michael, you heard Mubin's take on a number of things there. Any sticking points for you? Uh, no, I mean, uh, Russia is a... Russia has changed its leadership and regime and flavor over the years, but it's always had the same ambitions. If you go back to um, the various Tsarist administrations, they expanded into the Caucasus, into Muslim areas, they expanded into Asia, and they tried to expand into the Indian subcontinent, and, 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 and that's where the clash with the British came. Under the Soviets, the same thing applied. Uh, in Europe, what they've been trying to do is, is move Germany away from the United States since the Second World War, and, of course, um, they failed to do that until Putin, until uh, uh, Trump came in and he's done it for them because the man is a fool. But in the, in the Middle East, uh, from what, what the Soviet the Soviets courted Egypt, Yemen and Syria. And the Egyptians threw them out because they simply weren't it wasn't working for the Egyptians and, and uh, Yemen changed. But Syria, as I just said, has always been a Soviet ally for the longest time. And that I mean, that that's going to remain. And I mean, there are religion is a it's not a major issue, but the influence of Eastern Orthodoxy, the Syrian Orthodox Church, is relatively influential. It was about ten percent of the country, and even going into Iraq as well. But with Russia, it's about power, and they have no ideological opposition to Israel as the Soviets did. Uh, they simply want to have power in the region, and they have made the um, come to the conclusion they're probably right that Iran and Syria and Hezbollah, and that they're interchangeable at this point, uh, is a better alliance to have than Israel. But what you're seeing now, which is polarization, because I mean, I've never, in all my years of, of covering this, seen the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, is, when we say the Gulf states, we mean Saudi Arabia and the people it tells what to do. We've never seen them be so open in their, not warmth, but their acceptance of Israel. I mean, they've actually said they accept a Jewish state. Uh, they want 57 borders. They don't care about that. I mean, the, the big losers here, you have to remember, as always, are the Palestinians. Because, frankly, nobody cares. I mean, the Iranians do to a certain degree. There's a certain form of solidarity. But Hezbollah, um, the Palestinians and Hezbollah didn't get on at all. In fact, one of the reasons uh, that uh, the IDF was originally welcomed into southern Lebanon many years ago was because the Shia in southern Lebanon were in conflict with, with the Palestinians. But the Palestinian issue is not going to be solved at all. Hamas has no real power. This is about something entirely different, which is a great shame because the Palestinians are the people who really do deserve a just solution. 
Um, okay, Mubin, again, let me just go play the ping pong game here. Anything that uh, Michael has said that uh, kind of sticks with you a little bit? No, he's. Uh, I mean, it's an important uh, um, observation about is about Saudi Arabia now being so open in its, um, in its acceptance of Israel. I think this has actually been, um, you know, in the works for some time. Certainly, Israel sees this as an opportunity to keep the pressure on Iran. Uh, it was a big deal, actually, you know, for the um, uh, scholars in Saudi, at least the official ones, to say, you know, fighting against uh, Israel as a country. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's really walking back a lot of the extremism that's been coming out of Saudi Arabia uh, in the decades since. But let me let me just, uh, if I can, um, steer it again back to the religious side, because, you know, it's arguable. It's arguable. I mean, one side says, no, it's got nothing to do with religion, and it's all these other issues, power, influence, etc. Uh, but I would, you know, I would just put out there just to maybe have people entertain this as an alternative, is that religion and religious views and sacred values are deeply intertwined uh, with the seeking of power, the seeking of influence. And and it's it's weird because, you know, in, let's say, the Christian tradition, it might not be, uh, you know, chapter and verse like it would be for, let's say, the Islamic, you know, Juris Corpus, right? There's a whole, you know, years and years of, of politics, and so politics is discussed by the Scriptures, uh, whereas, you know, in the Christian tradition, it's discussed, but in a different way, right? It's kind of you yield, you give, you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, so then we ask the question, well, when the U.S., I mean, when they elect their leaders, very obviously Christian, uh, you know, they have to constantly prove their Christianity in that sense. When they go out and do what they do, is it, you know, is it something that's driven by Christian values? Um, I, you know, I'm not going to, I just want to put that out yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, there was yep. a whole thing, you know, post, uh, post-Iraq invasion, uh, you know, the, a lot of the Christians who are in Iraq, because now we talk about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, well, a lot of these wars really aggravated the situation. You had evangelicals going into places where traditionally, you know, they may have been uh, even Catholic Iraqi, uh, Chaldean or Catholic churches. And so there was also, you know, stress between uh, the Christian denominations, if you will. So it, it, it's, it is, I think, uh, deeply mixed with religion. Uh, sometimes you might see it in your face, sometimes you might not. Right, right. Okay, uh, Michael Corrin, you know, Mubin just said something about uh, the leaders, uh, the leader of the states being obviously Christian. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other subject now that Donald Trump is in power. And I, I don't think we can, uh, you know, determine someone's eternal destination, nor is that our job. But we can we can look at their actions and kind of cock our head to one side and go, really? Really? You're you're into the Jesus stuff, are you? Um, how how? Well, I guess there's two questions. One, um, what role is Trump playing in the in the inflammation of things here in the Middle East? And and two. Trump and Christianity, uh, leader of the United States, seemingly being a Christian for so many decades. Um, I'm not even sure what the question is there. Yeah, the, the unfair question is, you know, do you think Donald Trump is really Christian? That's not really what I'm asking. I guess what I'm well, asking I, I, is... I'm more than happy to answer that. Though. Okay. Uh, no, no, I don't. I've written about this many times, and I mean, all over the place, you know, CBC and Star and Warris and McLean's and so on. No, I, I, no Barack Obama... It, uh, is a man who takes his faith very seriously, who, who once actually rearranged his schedule, which, as you can imagine, for a president, is very difficult to do, so he could spend more time with a particular theologian, a, a progressive Christian theologian he wanted to, to discuss issues with. 
is someone who really does believe in family, who does believe in Christian virtues. Donald Trump is um, an abuser, almost certainly a rapist, uh, several times divorced. I have no objection to that, but it is rather uh, ironic that evangelicals who are so obsessed with issues of sexuality are so willing to forgive this man for what he has done. No, I don't think he's a Christian. I mean, what was said earlier is exactly right, by the way, in terms of Iraq and Syria. That's not Trump's fault, by the way. Um, although the Bushes now are held up to be such wonderful people, uh, the, the Bushes are responsible for a huge amount of suffering. Christians in Iraq and Syria were not persecuted. Both regimes, particularly Iraq, Assad is, is, was, is not a good regime, but, but Saddam Hussein was far worse. But both regimes didn't particularly persecute Christians. Tariq Aziz, the Iraqi foreign minister, was at least tribally a Christian. It was open war on Christians after both countries were destabilized by Western interference. And I, I don't think the Americans could give a damn about that. But it, again, it was about power. So in that way, yes, I mean, um, people have to remember that the Arab world outside of Saudi Arabia, Christianity is, is a, a vital part of the Arab world in Syria and Iraq and Egypt. And the Palestinian narrative, the Palestinian conversation for the longest time was dominated by Christians, uh, Christians and Marxists, actually. <laughs> it's changed rather uh, now. But I, I cringe at the idea, and many people have it outside of the United States, that Christianity is represented by America. Uh, there are many fine Americans who are Christian, but American leadership has, hasn't acted in a Christian manner, uh, I don't know, ever. It's a country that was founded <laughs> on slavery. So, um, no, it, it, that, um, you know, it, it's... We have to be very careful because to define someone's faith is always very complex. Yes, but that doesn't mean we can't make some, some statements. But Christianity is pretty uh, obvious and absolute about issues of peace and justice and forgiveness and inclusion and the way we deal with the poor and the marginalized. Ask those questions of various American presidents and administrations. Ask if they are fulfilling those commands that Jesus gave while he was here on earth, presently among us. I think generally you'll know what the answer is. Uh, Michael Korn, author, broadcaster, journalist. MichaelKorn.com is the website. Mubin Sheikh, ex-Muslim extremist, uh, turned un undercover intelligence operative, author of Undercover Jihadi. Both on the line with us, both talking about a subject that I am a fool about. I just know very little. And that which I've heard... There's so many different angles that I'm just not sure which which to believe, and 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 you know the geopolitics versus the religion, which has more of an impact, et cetera, et cetera. Let's let's just dive into this for a second, Michael, and then moving. And I want your take on this as well, Michael. Um, Armageddon, end of the world, all that stuff. I, it it just makes me kind of cringe and want to you know trip a street preacher. Um, but uh, but apparently, uh, you know, th the areas that you're talking about, many of those who are involved in eschatological discussions are saying, yeah, th no, th these areas have something to do with, with the coming of Christ, with the Armageddon, with the end of the world, with rapture, or whatever kind of stuff. They, Israel, Lebanon, uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Russia, th it's got something to do with it. So if things are cooking up there again, all of the you know, eschatological nerds out there are going to come out of the woods and, and jump into this conversation with whatever they think and believe. I want to know what you think and believe in regards to end times and all of this that's cooking over there right now. No, I think the end times are, will occur in Oshawa, 
<laughs> best line ever. 15 years of the show. That's the best line right there. Oh my uh, uh, you've probably been to Megiddo. Armageddon's a mistranslation, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. And, I mean, Megiddo, it just it's, it's a crossroads. Yeah. Of, I mean, empires, imperial armies would cross. No, I have no time at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I spend a lot of my time being nerdy, studying this. I'm, I'm doing a master's with a divinity, for goodness sake. I study Old Testament a great deal of the time. And no, this is metaphor. Um, the world will end when the world will end, and it'll come a lot quicker unless we do something about climate change. But uh, no, um, anywhere there is power, pe- people have misinterpreted. I was just reading a book about a group called the Fifth Monarchy Men. You ever heard of the Fifth Monarchy Men? No. This is during the English Civil Wars in the 1640s and 50s. And they believe that the four monarchies had come along. The fourth one was the Roman Empire, which then the papacy took over. And, and the fifth was about... People have had theories like this for the longest time. And it's applying hysteria and fear to a sacred text. Uh, scripture, the Bible, I, I believe in absolutely. But I don't believe in the literal truth of every word because it's not meant to be literally true. It's metaphor, it's poetry, it's erotica at times, and it's great moral wisdom. But to subtract a little bit of it and say, this means the world will end at this certain point and that's what's going to happen, yeah. is not only wrong, it's also insulting, insulting to the, to the intellect of those people who wrote the Bible. Mubin, your take on the end times happening, uh, being connected with all that's going on over there in the Middle East. I mean, you are a Muslim, and you have you have actually talked more about Jesus on my show than maybe any other guest. Uh, so what's your take on all this stuff? Yeah, so I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to take the, uh, we'll say, uh, somewhat literal route. Uh, so number one, uh, we do believe in a general end times, which is where at some point God decides... It's time for this contract to end, uh, and the world will be destroyed. Uh, We will all be reanimated again on what is called the Day of Judgment, uh, which is referred to repeatedly in the Quran. And on that Day of Judgment is where we will all face our judgment. Um, Now, in terms of the end times, uh, you know, we have a whole tradition with the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peace be upon him, I have to say this, you know, in regards to all the prophets. But we believe that at some point, and and, and it's important to note, you cannot uh, quicken the the will of God and you cannot delay the will of God. It comes on its appointed time. And and one of those appointed times, we believe in the literal return of Jesus Christ on earth, and that we we are supposed to yield authority to him, and he will possess some kind of authority in the world. Now, we, we, you know, because remember, we don't believe that Jesus died and was resurrected, but we do believe that he was taken alive to God, uh, where he sits at, quote-unquote, figuratively speaking, the right hand of God. He's basically in stasis, and then he's, you know, basically plopped back down into the world. Um, so, so we do believe in that aspect. Uh, our traditions talk about the Antichrist, who was supposed to come before the, the Christ, uh, the Antichrist is associated. Is actually there are prophecies that say that they will be the Antichrist will emerge from a group of basically religious zealots, Republicans. Okay? And, <laughs> well, I've been making the argument that ISIS fits the definition of that kind of group. Oh, that's uh, what I meant. I mean, I could go as far as saying I believe ISIS is the progenitor group uh, to the coming of the Antichrist, but I mean, again, measuring it into. Yes, for thousands of years, people said, this is the end times, this is the end times. 
I'm going to say that there were some factors that were not present uh, for them to consider, for example, the state of Israel and the reestablishment of the people of Israel. Because even in the Islamic text, it says that once that happens, then events will start to quicken that will herald the coming of the last days, which doesn't mean the end times, just means, you know, a lot of wars are going to happen, you know, X, Y, Z signs. So, you know, it, it could happen, it couldn't happen. The rule is this. Uh, the prophet said, if, if you are planting a tree and the day of judgment comes upon you, finish planting the tree. So no preppers, you know, don't sell your belongings and, you know, carry just a sword or whatever. You know, uh, you know, they say, uh, even the Jews have a saying, if you hear that the Messiah has come, verify it. Mm-hmm. Or as others say, look busy. Yeah, right, right, right. In, in Oshawa, preferably. Um, Michael, let's, let's give you a, a bit of the last word here, um, which I think is appropriate for anyone from the UK. Um, first of all, actually, I want to just stop for a minute and just say thank you for taking the immense amount of information that you you intake and then regurgitate it so that dopey guys like me can understand stuff a little better. Please, don't be silly. No, no, I'm serious. I just I don't have the time or the inclination to do what you do, to read what you read and study what you study. And uh, it's interesting to hear uh, your regurgitation of things. I'm not saying I always agree with you, nor would you expect that, but I am saying I do appreciate uh, the fact that you're putting your neck out there the way you have over so many years. Um, are is there a course you're failing in your in your in your God studies right now? Are, <laughs> are you having trouble with anything? I'm, I'm almost halfway through, and so far I'm doing okay. I'm hardly an outstanding student, but I think I'm too old to fail. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. And and but have you been in trouble? Do you keep your mouth shut? Do they say he would he would excel if he had just applied himself? Have they said that on your report card yet? I'm at Trinity College, which is is quite liberal. It's liberal Anglo-Catholic. So, no, I think my, my views are pretty standard, yeah. uh, and it's yeah, great people, wonderful teachers. Good, good. Well, michaelcorn.com is the website, and Michael, as always, I do appreciate you being uh, on our show and giving us that time, and, uh, and I, I've, I've actually wanted you two to speak with each other for quite a while, so I'm glad mm. this actually happened. Uh, Mubin, uh, anything kind of pleasant you want to say to Michael before we say goodbye? <laughs> Of course, of course. I mean, uh, look, thank you also, Drew. I mean, you've given me the platform and I have others come on. It's very important, I think, especially with what's happening for people to get uh, the other take and all. I don't know if I'm going to see you for Christmas. I do want to give Michael the last word because uh, I guess we're the colony and he's the Brit, so fine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Merry Christmas. You know, uh, Thanks, the Quran you, celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, so uh, it's okay for us to say that. Merry Christmas to all. Good stuff. Good good stuff. Guys, thank you very much. I really do appreciate that uh, conversation we just had. Take care to both of you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.